So David Livingston today, born in 1813, died in 1873, a pioneer, missionary, and explorer to Africa, um, quite a man. Uh, probably, I, I would venture to say, of all of the men I've studied and, and heard about, this is the toughest dude I have ever known. I, I feel like the more I studied him, the more my, my mind was just exploding with how courageous and tough this man was. So the sermon title is David Livingston, I Must Bring Them Also. I Must Bring Them Also. Our text today is going to be in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 16, and then we'll do some work in the surrounding verses. But uh, that's where we're heading today. Here's what I want to do. I want to show you the main passage, and then I want to just kind of start telling the story of Livingston's life, and then we'll come back to these verses in the middle of our journey. Jesus said this, a very familiar passage for our church, I am the good shepherd. And then he goes on, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I, I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now what's, what's he mean here? I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Well, the fold he's referring to in the immediate context is among the Jews, right? So when he says this fold, that's the Jews. But the other sheep, well, the other, the other fold, as it were, is the nations, the Gentiles, the far reaches of the earth. And then he says these words, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. There's no uncertainty about how the outcome will go. It is sure and certain In fact, specifically here, he says, I am laying my life down for who? For the sheep, for for my sheep, as it were. I have them, I have them, and I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. Here is how it's going to end up. There will be one shepherd, or there will be one flock and one shepherd. So one church made up of Jews and Gentiles, shore to shore, cover to cover, around the world from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and only one Savior, Jesus Christ. That is what we're a part of today, friends. So more about those verses in a minute and how Livingston was just absolutely captured by that reality. Let's begin, though, with his story, and I'll kind of walk you through his life. So my goal here today is that you would leave feeling like you know David Livingston. That, that you know him, and, and when you see him in glory someday, you can come put your arm around him and be like, dude, you're the toughest guy I've ever met. I am telling you, how in the world? And he will say, by grace alone. The school of tenacity. This is um, David Livingston's childhood. Born in 1813 in Blantyre, Scotland. He was a contemporary now, think time period, of Abe Lincoln, and Charles Darwin. Think of the significant, moving, shaping dynamics at work in these years that he would live his life. David was the second of seven children. His parents were extremely poor. Uh, They lived in a 10 by 14 foot factory apartment, and there was no running water. Okay, now picture this. A family of nine in a 10 by 14 foot apartment with no running water At age 10, 
David began working at the cotton mill. He would begin, now kids, if you think you have it hard, let me just lay this out for you, okay? He would start in the morning at 5.30 a.m. He would work until 7.30 p.m. There were two breaks for meals in between there. He would leave from work and go straight to school, which the the factory provided for those who desired it. Um, One of the reasons why he worked there so faithfully is he had a chance to go to school. This what a privilege he saw. So from 8 o'clock to 10 p.m., he's in school. Then he would come home for dinner and study until 12 midnight. Then he would get up and be ready to go to work by 5.30 a.m. the next day. He did this for six days a week for 10 years of his life, from age 10 until age 20. (laughs) Wow. Man, do you think he ever fell asleep in church? (laughs) I imagine on Sundays he may have been struggling. This is a rigorous amount of work. And a little more about the job. One thing you see from an early age, this is true of many mighty men that God uses. They are determined and driven to learn. Driven to learn, even from a young age. Devouring books, understanding things, just hungry to know and and learn and discover. This was true of Livingston. David would set his book, so he's He's at work, and uh, the spinning jenny was spinning up the cotton into into threads, and and he would walk around this in a circle 20 miles a day uh, in 80 to 90 degree temps making thread. So anytime it would break, he would have to jump in there, retie it, and then keep it going. So it was was intense, uh, completely focused work. And as he's watching this, he's trying to study. So he's walking around here and trying to read as he does so he can do both. He would jump under the spinning machine to repair broken thread. Other workers would try to throw bobby pins, uh, bobbins, to try to knock his book down, right? So they're messing with him. Uh, They did not like the fact that he was so serious about learning and studying. If his machine broke down, he would be beaten, okay? So this is before child labor laws. Uh, This is sweatshop to the core, right? This, this This is extreme intense environment, and uh, he experienced a lot of challenging things during these years. Other children made fun of his desire to learn. He had no extra time, and I was struck by this. It was just a a flat-out statement. He had no friends. And one of the reasons is he had no time for friends. Think of this. He was either working, studying, eating, or sleeping. As far as childhood and, and, and being able to play or, or, you know, play Xbox, right? That didn't happen for Livingston. There was no downtime. And I think there's also a little bit of a glimpse here. He really wasn't always the easiest to get along with. Um, that may be another reason why he had no friends. He was a, a very determined and uh, kind of a, a, a run-on-his-own kind of guy. He was equipped through hardship. The Lord allowed these years to build a man that was tenacious, tenacious to persevere through difficult circumstances and challenges. Okay, fast forward now to age 20. I titled this, The Glory of God in Living Color. The Glory of God in Living Color. This is the conversion of Livingston. 
He was miraculously saved by God, as we mentioned last week, right? Who, who saves who? Well, God saves us, right? He was saved by God in supernatural power when he was 20 years old. Even though he had grown up in a Christian home and family, he had struggled for years with a desire to prove himself worthy. He wanted to show that, that you know, I know it's supposed to be grace alone, but I want to prove myself, Lord, to you. This was a wrong desire. It was a self-focus And it's not the way that we receive salvation. God revealed to him his error, and he renounced all hope in himself. As a bankrupt and helpless sinner, he trusted fully in the power and the willingness of Christ to save him from his sins and give him eternal life. This was a huge turning point in the life of Livingston. Um, He talked about it as, as, as being cured from colorblindness. He said all of a sudden the world just exploded in full color. That's what happens when your soul passes from death to life. All of a sudden you see, you see beauty and glory. In fact, the moment you're saved, it's what happens as well as the Holy Spirit accomplishes his work. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. What's that a reference to? The the very beginning, right? Let there be light. This same God who said that has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing that takes place in the dead soul of a sinner. When we are made alive in Christ, it's as if he says, let there be light. Boom! All of a sudden, we live in full color. We see the face of Christ The glory of God, the love of God is felt in our hearts, and we are saved. Listen to how he described it. I saw the duty and inestimable privilege immediately to accept salvation by Christ, humbly believing that his sovereign mercy and grace, that through his sovereign mercy and grace, I had been enabled to do so. Oh, how important that is to see. He he has enabled me to do this. And having felt in some measure its effects on my still depraved and deceitful heart, it is my desire, he said, to show my attachment to the cause of him who died for me by henceforth devoting my life to his service. And he did. He did. Those were not just uh, mere words. This was a man who was so overwhelmed by the precious gift of salvation in Christ that he gave himself completely to the ministry of Jesus. Now let's move on here. A lot of times when people hear David Livingston, they they hear this, this quote about him being a doctor. Well, why was he a doctor? How in the world could a man with a childhood like that become a doctor? Well, the doctor in Livingston. With a profound love for Christ and God's word, David also loved the glory of God on display in the sciences. And uh, remember at this time with Darwin on the move and, uh, uh, you know, really like a religion taking um, a lot of uh, power and, and, and prestige in the work of science, many Christians believed that, that science itself was against Christianity. His dad encouraged him, don't study science, David, just study theology. But David's heart he, he felt like, I can put them together. I feel like I can bring them together. Like, the good science is God's. 
And so his, his solution to this was to become a doctor, a doctor missionary. He wanted to alleviate human suffering, and so he thought, well, if I'm a doctor and, and a missionary, I can do both, and one will open doors for the other. He went to medical school and at the same time studied his uh, theology classes so that he graduated and became uh, really a pioneering medical missionary. This was a brand new concept, and he was one of the first to really kind of part the waters on this, this idea. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to see. Even nowadays, you think of the, the, the category of, of medical missions and all of the expressions of that. Think even of what Brenda does in, in your ministry. Um, this, this tracks back largely to what Livingston pioneered as a bringing together of these things. Uh, Dr. Livingston would become the first person to connect the spread of malaria with mosquitoes. So he's down in Africa, and all of a sudden he's like, okay, these, these swampy areas where there's all these mosquitoes, that's where malaria tends to thrive. So he, he made that connection. People didn't, didn't know that at the time. They weren't protecting from mosquitoes at all, and malaria was just ravaging Africa. He also found that uh, quinine could be used to help treat malaria. No one knew that, and he put the dots together, and it was a huge help to the suffering of those down in Africa. He never built a medical clinic or a hospital, but he did uh, find a lot of inroads through helping to treat people who needed help. So he wasn't there to say, I'm going to build a hospital. He was out in the bush, moving around constantly, and as he came across a situation, he would treat it, and all of a sudden, walls would be broken down so that he could have the focus and interaction with the gospel that he desired. So that is the doctor in Livingston. Let's go back to John 10 now and consider this passage and why it shaped Livingston so much. The shepherd's scattered sheep, as it were. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now, I want you to note this. You might even in your Bible underline, I have, I have. That's not just that, that he's hoping that there are others out there in the world that will be saved. He's saying, I have them. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, must bring them also, and they, the sheep, the Gentile sheep, they will listen to my voice because they know me and I know them. You see the connection here? This is not wishful thinking in the slightest. This is a sure and certain elect group of individuals that the Father has chosen and then given to the Son to save. And then he's saying, I'm going to go get them. I must bring them also. In John 17, when Jesus is praying, he says this to the Father, As you, Father, sent me into the world, so I have sent them, that is my disciples, into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified or set apart in the truth. And then he says this, I do not ask for these only, okay, not just the disciples there, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's that? 
<laughs> that's us. That includes us. That they may all be one. Now, note the connection. There's a similar uh, line of thought in prayer in John 17 as they're here. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So that there will be a unity, one church. How is it that Jesus goes to get the scattered sheep? He sends us. He sends us. So it's as if he says this, I have them, go bring them. Go bring them. So when you think about missions, when you think about evangelism, global, cross-cultural missions, or local backyard mission work, uh, evangelistic outreach, it's the same thing. There are sheep that the Son has as the, 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 the selection or the election of the Father who has given them to the Son, and He has purchased their pardon on the cross, but they must be brought, and He sends us to go get them. Okay? It's interesting to me that often election and evangelism are pitted as somehow the, at, at, like they're at odds with one another. They are not at odds at all, friends. It is indeed, throughout church history, those who understand the doctrine of election who were most passionate for global missions, who laid their lives down, who persevered, who wouldn't let up because they knew that he has them. It's just, just go get them. Keep speaking, right? Proclaim the good news and watch what God does. Hmm. I think of Paul in Acts 18. He's in Corinth. He's discouraged. It's hard. There's a lot of opposition. This is what the Lord says to Paul. Listen to this encouragement. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep proclaiming hope. For I am with you, number one. Secondly, you can be reassured, no one will attack you to harm you. And third, for I have many in this city who are my people. Not, not who will be. I have them. I have many in this city who are my people. Go get them. Keep speaking. Keep preaching. So the encouragement to Paul at the point where he was discouraged was this. I have them. I have them. And you're in this city proclaiming hope. Keep it up. Keep it up. Election, far from pulling away from evangelism, is actually the fuel for the fire of a bold and faithful witness. So if you show up in the middle of Baghdad and you get off the plane and you're like, okay, Lord, here we go. You can know this. I have sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And your work, even in the hardest, most remote places, think of wandering into Zambia or across the Kalahari Desert. You show up and you see a tribe and you begin to engage this tribe. What is your confidence as you share the gospel? He has some from every nation, tribe, and tongue. They are His he will bring them through our witness. I have them. Go bring them. Acts 13, 47 through 48. I have made you, Paul and Barnabas, a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So here they are proclaiming to the Gentiles this hope. 
And when they heard this, this is the sheep from the other fold. Think this is being fulfilled in their ministry. They began, the Gentiles began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Not a single person more than that, not a single person less. In that moment, in that place, as they proclaimed faithfully, the sheep were gathered in. The sheep were gathered in. So there's a few glimpses of this coming to pass. This, for Livingston, was at the very core of his motivation, his confidence in going to the deepest, most remote, and uncharted parts of Africa. He knew there were sheep there. He didn't know who they were or where they were, but everywhere he went, he proclaimed the gospel. And the Lord gathered in the flock. He gathered them in. So it is the confidence in our commission, friends. I have them, go bring them. So evangelism and prayer become the means by which election is brought to pass in salvation in individual lives around the world in every nation, tribe, and tongue. We're called to pray. We're called to speak. God saves. That's his path. That's how he chose to fulfill the electing purposes of the Father. Now, pioneering and persevering with these verses just burning in his soul and a longing to reach the lost, uh, David Livingston decides to go just all in, to pioneer and persevere. So, in 1838, propelled by a passion to reach the scattered sheep, Livingston was accepted as a member of the London Missionary Society. He wanted first to go to China But there was a war over opium going on, and China would not allow him in the country. So he decided then, Africa. And uh, this was kind of a surprise. Really, Africa at that time was considered a dark continent, um, dangerous. It was kind of closed in that sense. Uh, There had been some explorers who were killed when they tried to go there. And uh, so a lot of missionaries weren't even considering it. But he met a man named Robert Moffat. And Robert Moffat had been inland a little bit and established a small mission, and he began to tell Livingston what he had witnessed. And as soon as Livingston began to hear these things, he knew this was what the Lord had called him to. You hear Moffat say this, Sometimes can be seen by the light of the morning sun the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary has ever been. That to Livingston, was like cheese for a mouse. He's like, come on, there's sheep out there. Let's go get them. Why have we not been there yet? Dangerous? Too bad. We're going anyway. And so Livingston said this, God, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. And sever any tie in my heart except the tie that binds my heart to yours. He's not just a youthful, you know, just foolish, you know, impulsive kind of guy. He is a rooted, established, purposeful, focused, and dependent man upon the Lord. You see this on display throughout his ministry. His trust was in the Lord. Livingston would spend most of the next 32 years in Africa as a missionary and explorer. 
covering some 40,000 miles. Let me say that again. 40,000 miles, mostly on foot. Because at this time, the, uh, the, 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 the livestock were dying. Anytime they would try to go into these unexplored areas, uh, the bugs were, were attacking their horses, and they, they basically were not able to do anything on the top of livestock, so they would walk on foot through uncharted African territory, suffering great hardships and sickness, including 27 bouts of malaria by one historian's account. Now, Malaria in this day would kill people, okay? So how is it that he survived that? The grace of God. It is the grace of God that he survived that many times. His body was ravaged because of it, though. We're talking Zambia, right? We're talking, uh, um, oh, I knew I was going to forget. Down there. (laughs) Lots of countries. Botswana, right? I mean, this is deep inland central Africa, south of Uganda, okay? So south of the big lake and below. Tanzania, um, this area, completely wild, right? Unchecked wildlife, dangerous scorpions like crazy snakes that'll kill you. They they actually did a a more recent update where they sent a a group of... uh, survivalists, basically, to try to follow Livingston's route on foot. And they were scared to death, even in our day, of the snakes and the scorpions and all the animals that they were dealing with, trying to find water in the Kalahari Desert. How did he do it? By the grace of God. He started in Cape Town, South Africa, when he was 27. Soon he pushed much deeper inland and established mission stations in the uncharted regions. Here's a glimpse of, uh, of, of what it may have looked like, a beautiful land, but hostile land, gorgeous in its diversity, at least near the water where all the animals would gather. He spent massive amounts of time trying to find access through waterways, rivers, lakes. How do we get people up into these places so that missionaries and traders can establish commerce with these tribes? He was largely unsuccessful in finding a good trade route into Central Africa uh, because of that. Now, fighting lions and finding love. Anyone have that in their story? Fighting lions and finding love? Well, Livingston will tell us the story someday, I'm sure. At one point, marauding lions came into the community. From time to time, they would be like man-killers, and the tribes had to deal with them. And so... um, they recruited Livingston to help. He had a gun. And uh, so he, he loads up his gun. They would circle the lion in a big circle, and then they would just basically move in and try to spear him or shoot him. And the lion um, was basically right in front of Livingston as they closed in the circle. So he shot at this massive male lion. Uh, the problem is, is it didn't kill him right away. And as he's trying to reload his gun, the lion attacked him grabbed his left shoulder, and in his own words, he shook me like a terrier shakes a rat. This is a huge lion, and he had him right here and just shook him um, to kill him. Some others around were able to distract the lion, and eventually he was weakened by the gunshot and died. But Livingston was very severely injured uh, in this. Uh, He did survive the attack. His shoulder never healed correctly, 
And as a result, his left arm, he, he lost most of use for the rest of his days of that left arm. So now, I mean, you thought it was hard before. 27 experiences with malaria, all of the crazy things. Try doing that with one arm, right? It's just, it's, it's unfathomable what he pushed through in his missionary years. As he recovered, as our sovereign God can do, he went back to Kuraman where Moffat, his mentor, was, and he fell in love with Robert Moffat's daughter, Mary. And so she's, I'm sure, helping him heal up, and, and it's one of like, the only times that David can't run around and run off into nowhere by himself. And, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, wow, there's this thing called love. And, and uh, he fell in love, and they were married. They shared a commitment to missions. It said that she was as bold as David. It was a perfect match. Uh, they had six children. However, I would say one of the great weaknesses of David Livingston, uh, beyond the fact that he was just really difficult to get along with in a lot of social interactions, he was a bit of a loner, he, he just was not a good husband or father. He did not do a good job loving his children. He was basically always gone. And there were points along the way where they were destitute. She had nothing and no means to, to support herself and and so there was some real criticism that he faced because he had not cared well for them. Um, later in life, he tried to do a little better. Um, Mary ended up dying on one of the missions they were on. He buried her under a tree in Africa. Their fourth child lived for two weeks, also out on a, a trip they were on, and they buried that child there as well. So um, that, it's, it's good to notice these things, right? These, these men are not saints, in the sense that they're without sin. Livingston struggled in some of these areas, and he did not honor God in, in all things, and I think it, it haunted him, and he would do this over differently if he could. Employing fame to abolish slavery. Employing fame to abolish slavery. William Wilberforce, okay, we're going to be covering him in a few years. What an amazing work the Lord accomplished through him. But he fought the British Parliament to abolish slavery for 44 years. Think of this. And this fight finished when Livingston was 20 years old. In 1833, the legislation was passed, and the British slave trade, at least, was ended. And this was a huge turning point for England and uh, for the abolitionist movement as a whole. However, Livingston, who was a fervent abolitionist, went down to Africa and saw the horrors of the continuing slave trade as Arabs, Europeans, that's Dutch, Spanish, Portuguese. There was a huge market still for selling slaves around the world. And the, 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 the business was bloody, violent, and horrific. It was awful. He said at one point they were on a river in a boat with a turnwheel, and the bodies of, of, of those who had resisted were so filled in the river that they kept having a hard time with the wheel spinning so they could get upstream. It was horrible, unchecked. There were tribes who were arresting and capturing other tribes to deliver them and sell them to the slave traders and make profit. These are dark, dark days in Africa and around the world. 
Livingston hated the African slave trade, and he used his fame to bring attention to this evil. He, he drove himself relentlessly to destroy the slave trade, what he referred to as the open sore of the world. The only thing we might feel in, in a similar way is the abortion industry in our day. It is possible for a culture to so normalize sin that they see it as necessary, even would call it good. And in our day, we hate the abortion industry and we stand against it and we vote to see it absolutely ended. May the Lord bring that to pass. Livingston's exploration Exploratory journeys were done with the aim of opening up Africa for the gospel and for international commerce. He thought if there were more uh, nations who witnessed what he witnessed, then they would immediately seek to move in and shut down the slave trade. Some call this imperialism. I think uh, Livingston's heart was right. I think he said, listen, we've got to get more people down here uh, giving a business that's, that's legitimate to these tribes rather than having slavery and the profits that are being made uh, be the only thing that happens. In 1871, Livingston witnessed a terrible massacre firsthand. Arab slave traders began shooting into a large crowd of Africans who had gathered. Hundreds were killed. I mean, it was just a a massacre. Uh, He didn't know what to do, so he grabbed a British flag and began waving it and shouting, Come! Come to the flag and experience protection under Britain. Uh, you know, find safety here. And uh, at, a handful of them did come. Um, he then documented this experience very specifically and shared it with the world. And that began to stir England toward more direct action. Someone needed to step in and do something. It was a, a, a real sad weight on his soul. Livingston had not been seen for a long time, and reports of his death had circulated. There were, there were a lot of people that worked for Livingston, and uh, if they didn't get paid, a lot of times it was so hard that even the Africans would say, forget it, it's not worth it, you're crazy. We don't want to carry any more water, we don't want to help you, we're leaving. And they would leave him alone, out in the middle of nowhere, and then they would come back and they would say, well, he died, we want our pay. We want, we want to be paid anyway. Well, they left, so... These reports were mixed, and and some of them were discounted. And the big question was, where is Livingston? Where did he go? No one even knew where he was. On the scene then comes Henry Morton Stanley, a big uh, figure who was used to popularize and really spread the work of Livingston abroad. He worked for an an American uh, New York Herald paper and was commissioned to go search for Livingston. Can you believe the mission? Go find him. <laughs> the guy had basically an unlimited budget. You, you take all the money, take all the people you need, just go find him, and then write about it. And so he did. It took him two years to locate uh, Livingston, and when he finally did, the familiar line that a lot of you have heard, Dr. Livingston, I presume. And uh, that was the line after all of the search and all of the struggle that he had gone through. They hit it off. They even did a a short trip to try to find if there was an open waterway. Um, At this point, Livingston couldn't even walk. He was being carried in a cot 
Um, everywhere he went, he, he, he was just unable to move. His body was so ravaged. Stanley wrote the book, How I Found Livingston, and it became instantly famous, brought a lot of encouragement to uh, the Americas as well, as we learn about that on this side of the ocean. Stanley had great respect for Livingston. He saw his poor physical condition and suffering, and he's like, just come home. What? Just come home. And Livingston politely refused. I think in many ways he was home. He saw Africa as home. He viewed all the trials and challenges that he experienced over his missionary years. And studying from 2 Corinthians 4.17, I believe you can almost see this in view. This is how the verse goes. These things that we go through, the, the light, they are light, momentary afflictions that prepare for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. With those things in view... Stanley was in awe that Livingston would say this, I never made a sacrifice. Now, only a man who sees what is coming can speak that way when looking upon the life that he had lived. I never made a sacrifice. The path Livingston paved. The path Livingston paved. In his life, Livingston didn't see many results from all his labor. He only had one convert that was, that was confirmed. And, and think of this now. <laughs> 32 years of missionary work, all the explorations, no open waterway discovered. One convert. In the world's eyes, Livingston would be viewed as a complete failure of a missionary. But our God has a way of working. And he never saw this. That's the way you got to see this. He walked by faith, just like the hall of faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews, right? There is often no tangible display of what all this effort is going to accomplish. We might not see it in our day, but oh, the Lord brought it about. He charted and documented vast and unknown territories that would then become God's highway for a great wave of missionary work that continues to this day. Additionally, in the year that Livingston died, the Royal Navy finally began hunting down uh, and capturing slave ships due to the exposure that Livingston brought uh, in his writing. And more than 1,600 slave ships were captured, and more than 150,000 Africans were freed in this period of time. Now, the slave trade continued, and, and the, the, the Royal Navy couldn't stop all of it, but they at least began to, to, to catch and intervene and try to push it down, and uh, largely because of what Livingston had written and shared. So... In 1872, David wrote in his journal on his 59th birthday, one year before he died, My birthday, my Jesus, my King, my life, my all, I again dedicate my whole self to thee. At this point, he can't even walk. A year later, his lifeless body was found kneeling in prayer beside his bed. His beloved African friends buried his heart under a tree in Africa. And then they trekked his body 1,500 miles to the coast. 
a journey that took eight months to do. They wanted him to be regarded. They held him in such high esteem. They loved him dearly for his labor and his work and his love for them. And I think even along the way, there were some people that died to try to get his body to the coast so that it could be taken back and buried in his home. He was given a full state funeral in London and buried in Westminster Abbey. Uh, The church is shaped there like a cross. And where the crossbeam crosses, directly beneath that is where Livingston's grave is, right in the middle of the church. He said this before he died. I feel sometimes as if I am the only, uh, I, I am only the first evangelist to attack Central Africa crying in the wilderness, as it were, and that other evangelists will will shortly follow. And after those, there will come a thousand evangelists. I may fall by the wayside, being unworthy to see the dawn, but the dawn will come. It must come. I do not despair of that day one bit. The whole earth will be covered with the knowledge of the Lord. Hmm. What a life lived. Now, I want to give you a glimpse, as I close here, of one of those thousands that came because of the work of Livingston, okay? His name is Peter Cameron Scott. He headed to Africa to be a missionary. He immediately, upon arrival, got malaria, became so sick, he had to go back home. That took four months to get back home. And he lived. I mean, he survived. Many people just went and died, he survived. A few years later, he's like, I'm going to try this again, but, but this time I'm going to bring my brother John. So the two of them go as brothers, and they have one another, and he wasn't alone, and they're serving together and just getting started. And then John comes down with a fever and dies. So he, by himself, digs the grave for his brother, and he puts his body in the grave and puts that African dirt across his body And he resolves to go on despite the grief and the challenge. And then he gets sick again. And he's so sick that he has to go home again. He is disheartened, discouraged. How, Lord, can it be so hard? We're in your service. We're trying to bring the gospel. Hmm. Once he had recovered, he visited London and found himself in Westminster Abbey, where David Livingston was buried. He stood over the tomb and he read this. This is the inscription in the church. Brought by faithful hands over land and sea, David Livingston. Missionary, traveler, philanthropist. For 30 years of his life was spent in unwearied effort to evangelize the Africans, to explore uncharted secrets, and to abolish the slave trade. And then the verse... This verse is on his grave. And other sheep I have, I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Peter was filled with resolve. He once again returned to Africa, and this time The Lord protected his body and allowed that he would stay healthy and he was able to establish by the grace of God the Africa Inland Mission, which, by the way, is still 
thriving 130 years later, and so many have been saved. Think of this. Many others, in addition to Peter Cameron Scott, followed Livingston's footsteps. Countless Africans have been gathered into the flock of the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. That's a glimpse of the path paved by the Lord through the faithfulness of Livingston. How can we benefit from this today? There's all kinds of encouragements for us, isn't there? Ways that we can apply this story and, and, and glean some resolve in our own life and witness. Well, I want to draw out two things. One, total confidence. Total confidence. I don't know how many times I've heard and even in my own life felt. You know, I, I just I don't feel confident sharing my faith. I don't, I, don't, I don't often speak up, people will say, because I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't want to mess it up. I don't know, what if I say it wrong? What if I don't know how to share the gospel? And I would just encourage you with this. Be bold. Don't hold back. Don't hesitate. Don't doubt the message that has saved you. There's a simple sharing of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Tell everyone you know. The confidence we have is not in our words. It's not in what we say. The confidence is this. When we share the gospel, God has sheep, and he is going to bring them. He brings them through our words and proclamation, our boldness and courage. There may be some here in this room right now that God may be stirring in your heart to, to be raised up to go overseas in the same way that Livingston did, to cross an ocean, to share the message of a Savior with those who don't know this hope. I'm praying that there would be this confidence. I must bring them also. And they will hear His voice and know it and follow so we have confidence, friends. In your neighborhood, you can boldly share. You can boldly share. He has sheep. Our job is to go get them. Go get them. Number two, tenacious courage. I wish that, that we could have Livingston just come and, and we could have story time after church and just, just glean a little bit of this man's resolve. His tenacity, it was courage. Think of sleeping by yourself in the Kalahari Desert at night with no flashlight. <laughs> and, I mean, you've got a gun, but we watched a show that was filmed in this region. And at night, man, the hyenas come out and all kinds of weird stuff, noises, like scary noises. There's animals destroying each other and... And I'm picturing, well, there's Livingston in his little pup tent snoring away. Courage, friends. Courage to go after the mission boldly that we have been given by our King and Savior. We have been saved by grace. And we've called then to show that grace, to tell of His love. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. That's hogwash. It's always necessary to use words. Use the words of hope and life and go with courage. Don't hold back. 
Let's pray. Oh Lord, we give praise to you for a life that was so enabled by your grace, sustained by your grace, saved by your grace through Jesus Christ. We thank you that the same truth, the same word that he received from you that propelled his life to go in such a spectacular display of dependence and obedience. We thank you that we share that as well, that we have these words before us. We pray, O Lord, in our hearts today, give the same resolve, the same courage, the same confidence that you are the good shepherd, that you have sheep and you have sent us to go gather them in. O Lord, Forgive us for our timidity. Forgive us for our inclination to, to, to other things when the mission is clear and you have given us all the resources of heaven to trust you and go. I pray this week that we would take opportunities that you give to shine, to point the way, to tell of what you've done. Lord, use us. I think of those that you may even in this place be raising up to global, international missions. Lord, we want to be faithful to go in our backyards, in our, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, but we also want to be faithful like you have raised up Brenda and Kathleen from within our church to go. We want to be faithful to, 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 to obey your call to go to the ends of the earth and to gather in the sheep. Lord, we thank you for the work that you have put before us and thank you for your faithfulness. You are such a good God. You sustain. We commit these things to you and pray for your glory. Accomplish all your good pleasure. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.